And so once again, allowing someone to speak in the most comfortable way where you can understand that could definitely increase the sort of relationships that you have with people in regards to that sort of mutual respect. Welcome to the Innovation and Compliance Podcast, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Join us every week as we talk with industry innovators who are making compliance to help business run more efficiently and at the end of the day, more profitably. Here's your host, Tom Fox. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode. And today I have with me Richard Blank. Richard has one of the most interesting stories I've come across. He does work in an area that I don't think many compliance practitioners think about, if at all, certainly not enough. And so I asked him if he would take some time from his schedule to come on the pod. And he graciously agreed. So, Richard, first of all, thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Love being here, Tom. Thank you so much for the invitation. Can't wait to share all of my ideas with you. So could you tell us a little bit about your professional background? Of course. I am the chief executive officer of Costa Rica's call center. We're a dedicated bilingual nearshore call center in Central America and Costa Rica that handles both inbound and outbound support. So you've been in Central America and Costa Rica for quite some time. Why did you move down there to begin with? I moved here in August of 2000. A very good friend of mine owned a call center and asked for me to come down and teach English for a couple months. Well, a couple months turned into working with my friend's center for four years put all my stuff in storage and listen, Tom, if you can get past your parents' guilt, you can live anywhere in the world. So I decided to move to paradise here. But here's the skinny. After learning the business from the inside and out, I didn't come in as a C-level executive, so it wasn't contracts and finances. I got to learn through the proletariat, sitting with thousands of bilingual ticos to see the art of speech, how they converted calls and got positive escalations. And what I saw as a potential business owner is how I could enhance the experience for the agent and for the client, and especially put in as much empathy as I could with those that work with me. If you went to Costa Rica, you must have been able to speak Spanish. Where did the Spanish background come or even the, the love of that language? Well, Tom, that actually begins way back, back in 1991, when I graduated Abington High School in Northeast Philadelphia. The majority of my friends were going Ivy League. They were going to study medicine and law and engineering and architecture. My favorite class was in Spanish. So I decided to double down on languages and was a communication Spanish major at the University of Arizona. In college, I got uh, work experience by interning for Telemundo for a couple of years Post-grad, I landed a job selling beer for Corona, so that was a lot of fun using my Spanish. But it was a kind of dedicated practice that took all this time to master the language. And I did know that I could be marketable, because if I were the only one out of my friends that could translate for a doctor and attorney, or just once again have a better experience traveling abroad, I decided to take that. And so a lot of people say that it was a, a risk. There's a lot of times, Tom, that people will give you certain opinions or expect certain careers that you should choose. And not saying that I was the rebel of my family, but my great-grandparents came over from Europe, learned English, and started a company in Philadelphia and in New York City. So my argument to my parents at 18 was, well, if great-grandpa did it, why can't I do it? Why should I have to go to Columbia Business School, Harvard Law, or Washington Lee University undergrad? A, I wasn't mature enough for those sort of studies. And second, I knew where my passion lied. And it was in languages. And so, my friend, I was very, very prepared for this one in a million opportunity. So what was it like being the white guy at Telemundo? And what lessons could you draw from that for the American who really wants to experience other cultures? 
Well, it was very easy for me in Tucson. The, the owner of the company was Jay Cohen. So it was an Anglo-Saxon that actually owned the Phoenix and the Tucson market. And a lot of the executives in Los Angeles, once again, are not Latino. But that doesn't matter. The thing is that I was able to work with Miguel Quitana, who in the 90s was the number one newscaster out of Los Angeles, and a gentleman by the name of Pedro Sefsek, who had the number one talk show across from Christina from Univision. And so these individuals were extremely influential with me and mentoring me in regards to my public speaking and professional skills. So as long as, once again, I was showing good faith, showing up on time and doing my job, they'd love to have anybody working for free. But I wasn't going to go into the back room and start carrying boxes. I pretty much said I'd like to expand on my skills. May I get outside of the office, go around Tucson and do promotions and public relations. And so by having that discipline of 20 hours a week, showing that responsibility, more and more, Mr. Cohen and the other individuals, there delegated with me. And probably the greatest experience I had, Tom, was I threw out a first pitch for a Tucson Toros game in front of 5,000 people. And prior to the game, I also hosted a Havelina Cantina chili eating contest. So they kind of threw me in the deep end into the wolves, but I, I handled it. And so imagine a young man in their early 20s building that sort of self-reliance and self-confidence through that sort of experience. So I'm the first person to be humble and to give thanks and be very appreciative for all those that put wind in my sails. So let's turn to the Costa Rican call center. Why did you start this business and how did you use this, quote, learning through the proletariat, end quote, to help create this business model you've developed? I knew that in my mid-30s, I had impulse control maturity and a little bit of money. So, and I also knew what I could earn on an hourly rate. So I, I knew my value. But when you sit with people and you learn retention, customer support, onboarding, training, human resources, once again, you see it from the inside and out. Now, as a CEO of a company, Tom, I, I have leverage. I could hire, fire, make or break somebody. And the one thing that I heard most sitting amongst Costa Ricans and especially people that are in a call center industry is that they feel like a number, they feel like a robot, and they feel expendable. As long as I could give somebody their dignity, as long as I could find ways to promote them and to once again invest in their careers, it was very easy for me to find somebody with English as a second language to find that sort of stimulation. So as long as I increase their English, give them all of their resources so they don't have any fear, and once again, use a quality assurance, quality control department to study their KPIs, which are key performance indicators. It's very easy to have a very strong structure to assist in coaching and ramping up somebody to be at the best of their game. I knew I could do this. And I realized that today, a lot of stuff is omni-channel non-voice support, Tom, where people are just doing chat and email support. And so for me, I think you're eliminating an upsell, a referral, a retention, and a possible feedback from a client to let you know what you could do better or what your competition is doing to earn their business. And so these are the simple things that were very clear to me, that if I ran a company, I would be able to instill these sort of ethical values to the agents, give them their preparation. And finally, I have a gamification culture here. I collect pinball machines, jukeboxes, arcade, retro machines, and air hockey tables. So I've created a neutral environment for individuals to meet those from other departments, to let off steam or recharge batteries, or, or even, Tom, just hang out with El Jefe and just play games a little bit because the best relationships are built through play. So I know in a roundabout way, these are some of the cultures that I have here that are different from others. Once again, they get their dignity, they know their boss, and I will do everything in my power to find ways 
to get them to shine and be promoted at my company. So you said some things in there I want to translate into compliances. Number one, culture. And yes. culture starting literally with El Jefe at the top, personifying those values of your culture in your interactions of employees. But you said a couple of other things. You no. said lack of fear. What we would say is trust. And you've created an atmosphere of trust, institutional justice, institutional fairness. But then you used a word that, frankly, we don't say enough in compliance. And it's one of the most basic words there is, which is dignity. Why is dignity so critical to the culture you've created? Because call centers and telemarketers in general sometimes have a bad rap. You saw the movie Boiler Room. Everyone knows The Wolf of Wall Street by heart and Glengarry Glen Ross. But my friend, Tom, there's a lot of people out there that just don't even work at call centers, but still make and receive phone calls for a company. And so there is that sort of dignity in assisting people and giving them a first call resolution, doing it so the fact that they ask to speak to a supervisor to tell you how well someone worked with them. And so I'm in a very, very strict Catholic country. And as much as I want to fulfill the needs for the clients, it's really for the agent. I have to ensure that they go home and tell their parents what they do for a living. And so as much as I want to grow, I'm currently 150 seats, but we're very selective of the campaigns that come in here. A lot of the time they're not qualified because they're asking for a different sort of profile agent than what a Costa Rican might be comfortable with or something that's just outside of their expectations. Not saying that every call center is a boiler room that sells stock. Not every vertical does that. And not every agent wants to do that. And so for me, once again, it's very important that the client gives me all of my resources so I can, as you mentioned, reduce any sort of fear and stress that the agent has and onboard them properly. But I love using a thesaurus because if someone can expand their vocabulary with similes, they can have a much more clear and precise message, avoid any sort of ego defense, be able to control any sort of conflict management and, and any sort of rabbit holes. And the best example I could give you, Tom, is using the word help on the phone. A lot of people use it, but I prefer to use words like assist, guide, and lend a hand. And also, since calls are on cell phones and there might be distractions, instead of asking you to repeat it and excuse me, what'd you say, Tom? My agents would then say diplomatically, Tom, for my clarification, was it ABC or 123? And so these are the sort of active listening soft skills that we could do to give a much better experience on the phone. And I guess my final bit of advice is when you hear a dog in the background, there's a certain way that inadvertently and passive aggressively, I can let you know how much I love dogs. It's a me too technique. But then I'll do a follow up question, Tom, and ask you what the dog's name is. And you'll say fluffy. So I say fluffy sounds great. Obviously it's barking, put it outside. And then when you come back to the phone after putting your dog outside, we might talk a couple minutes about your favorite pet. So instead of trying to repitch you or close you, I believe the best form of anchoring is when you discuss things that are sometimes not business related. So let's turn to the business of the Costa Rican call center. Could you start with what is a BPO telemarketing outsource company? Wonderful question. BPO, business process outsourcing. And there's many different areas of the world that do this. A lot of people know the Philippines and India. They're considered offshore. Costa Rica is a near-shore location because of the proximity to the United States. Now, an outsourcing company, they could be either a blended or a mixed center where they work on multiple accounts. Usually it's for overflow or an answering service. Or my center here is a dedicated center. So every agent I have works specifically for a client. Now, a call center, 
Why is it an advantage of a brick of a mortar compared to people working from home? Because once COVID hit, legally, I was only allowed 50% of my agents here. I chose 20% because of PCI compliance, onboarding, brand new agents, and just training. But the agents that work from home have challenges, Tom. There could be internet redundancy and electricity failure. And also if their equipment goes down, And if that happens, they could be at my centrally located call center within a half an hour on a turnkey station. At my center, once again, we have multiple internet lines. I have a backup generator. I got a whole IT department that can work on your computer or put you on another CPU. I have a quality assurance department of individuals that will listen to your calls and grade them accordingly for specific coaching. I got a script writing department, a human resources department that will be able to bring people in and do the advertisements. There is just so much that a call center does that gives you that specific structure. So it gives you, once again, the redundancy and the labor. Because if you're looking for scalability, if you're looking for reliability, working with a call center in addition to what your original structure is could assist you to either compare apples, could handle the overflow, or there's a very good chance if we're on a level playing field, my agents, pound for pound, might be able to perform better than certain agents at corporate. And so these are the sort of resources that I would be more than happy to share with potential clients to ensure, A, that they're getting the best of us, B, that their original structure is where it needs to be, and C, if we're a good fit together. You use the term nearshoring. I want to use that to introduce the question of why Costa Rica for a business process outsourcing center, and what is, frankly, the difference in having a company in more or less the same time zones as the United States? And that's why you run one of the best interviews. Awesome question. Costa Rica, we are north of Panama, south of Nicaragua. We have a democratic society in Central America. We have no standing army. All of that money got put back into education. I have a 95% literacy rate. And we also have the best infrastructure in Central America. Companies such as Amazon, Intel, Oracle, and HP, they have people here. And so our skill set is superior. Besides English, you know, the Spanish language capacity, where, as you know, in the next decade, it'll probably be the most spoken language in the United States. There's about a half million expats that live here. Out of DFW, you could be here in just a couple hours on a direct flight. And so I'm on mountain time zone right now. That sort of proxemics to the United States. A lot of the agents that are at my center have lived in the United States. I have some people that even served in the military with dual citizenship that are at my center right now. And so a lot of the clients like the fact that they can be here within a couple hours, that a lot of people are attuned towards the North American market, that our accents could be considered the most neutral out of all of Latin America. And once again, it's an extremely safe place to visit. And if you are here on business and you have some time, the ecotourism is just incredible. So there's always a benefit of visiting me here at the center. I have a virtual assistant. I'm a huge aficionado of virtual assistants. What do you see as a business owner as really some of the key things people don't think about when they consider a virtual assistant? Usually they just like to have coffee with them and to see them and to have those long meetings and boardrooms with them. But I believe that talent is everywhere in the world. And a virtual assistant, once again, could have just incredible skills not just for the answering service and setting appointments for you, but also the lead generation, following up on emails, and also just being a front line and a perfect representative of your organization. And so in order to scale, 
I believe that unless somebody needs to be on site for something specific, that individuals should be looking at any sort of labor pools, especially with multiple languages, that could be of an assistance to them. And as long as they keep open communication channels where they have certain protocol, do you prefer email, chat, or voice? That's fine. As long as you have your boundaries, your parameters, and your structure, there's no reason why a virtual assistant can't even be ahead of the game and working with you. It's just something that you become accustomed to, but after, let's just say one day, you realize that you should have done it a long time ago. That was certainly my experience. In the world of compliance officers, our regulators could be federal regulators, Securities and Exchange Commission, Department of Justice, or a myriad of other alphabet agencies. It could be state regulators, it could be even municipal or local regulators. But one thing they talk about is not simply training, but effective training and engaging training. How do you at CCC really help to facilitate effective and engaged training for your employees? That's a very logical question. I first start off by saying learning a second language is 10 times harder than any sort of account I'm going to put them on. So I have to put that sort of pressure in perspective. And secondly, as I mentioned, by having all of the resources for the agent, there's no questions. And it's an excellent way with the training manual to walk them through it. Usually our classes start at 7 a.m., but we usually begin the class at 7.30 because from 7 to 7.30, they're in the game room meeting each other, all these 15 new agents with the supervisors. So when they come into class the first day, they're already loose and excited and have some friends. So instead of just absorbing, now time they're contributing. And so these individuals are more engaged and asking more clarification questions. It can't just be a lecture. I just can't get the glaze and the nodding. I want to see notebooks filled on both pages. I want them to do some active role playing because there has to be checkpoints. There's no way I'm going to train someone for five days and just have them jump from the company and get paid for training. Every single day, there's got to be some sort of quiz or some sort of area in which they can display that they're up to speed. And I got to make sure that they're committed because it's just not free class. I'm not a show. And prior to even the trainers beginning to discuss their material, with the permission of the client, depending on how much time we have, I like to do at least two hours worth of soft skills training prior to any sort of account training. So I can share with them my own personal experience, my diplomacy and strategy, the rhetoric that I've mastered, and also teaching them certain things in the United States market that would make them much more applicable to their job. Once again, if there's no surprises, and I can be very forthright with the agents from the get-go, there's no reason why these people would not be able to grow with me. So what are some of the soft skills that you personally will bring to your teams and some of the soft skills that they'll utilize in campaigns for your customers and clients? Probably the most important thing for me, Tom, is a positive escalation. If I'm calling your company, for an example, is there an individual that answers the phone at your company, Tom, if I call? Me. What's your virtual assistant's name? Jaja. Jaja. So let's say I call your company and Jaja answers the phone and I say the name of your company better than she does. And I'm very excited. And then they ask my name and I use a buffer boomerang technique where if somebody asks you a question over the phone and they might have a negative tone, what you want to do is buffer the tone, do a name drop, say that's an excellent question, repeat the question and send it back as a plus two. So for an example, if I call and I say, hey, Tom Fox podcast, you know, how are you doing today? She goes, hi, we're doing great. This is Jaja. What is your name? I go, Jaja, that's an excellent question. My name is Richard Blank. So Jaja likes me, right? And she's deciding to transfer the call over to you. Before that call is transferred, I'm going to let Jaja know, hey, 
you just did an excellent job and I'm going to let Tom know this. So when the call gets transferred to you and you say, hey, this is Tom, I'm going to use my anonymity, not the whole call, but initially, I'm going to let you know how amazing this individual was, Jaja, that was very helpful, adding momentum and giving a gift. So my first impression for you is good faith. And I'll also do it at the end as well when I'm doing a follow-up email. I'll be writing about Jaja combined with the other information I'm sending. So when I do call back for a follow-up, this individual, Jaja will say, Richard, thank you so much for mentioning me to Tom. I cannot wait to add momentum and wind in your sales and transfer this call. So these are the sort of things, instead of seeing it as a gatekeeper or someone that will kill your call, this individual, if you can gain their trust, could be a plethora of information from company culture to promotions and anniversaries or your direct extension, or just making nice and making friends. Because prior to any sort of contract, you're going to separate yourself from hundreds of people that are trying to bypass Jaja or just say, Tom's expecting my call. No, you're going to get caught. You have to be very candid and you also have to be very sincere. And if you see these sort of things, I think you might take my offer into much more consideration compared to somebody that angled their way into an appointment with you. You've mentioned campaign several times. I'd like to take a little bit deeper dive into that in terms of a business process of a campaign. You mentioned many of the services that CCC brings. You mentioned script writing and several others. Could you walk us through how you would help a client think through the process of a campaign? Wonderful. Well, the first is I like to use the SMART technique, which is specific, measurable, agreed upon, realistic, and time frame oriented. As much as they want to motivate me, coach, there's only so many calls someone can make in an hour when it's their average talk time, wrap-up time, and using the, you know, the CRM. And so I usually will ask at least 10 to 15 questions, like a pre-launch checklist, and I will listen very carefully. I will answer every single question in a very forthright manner, and then usually add one or two additional points just to not only establish my credibility, but just to let them know that they're in the right place. And so a lot of it is just walking backwards, almost through deductive reasoning to see once again, am I able to fulfill their needs? Have they done this before? Do they have metrics? Are there agents that have done it before? What's the average talk time? Do you have a script? Are there rebuttals? I just don't want things that are out of your head. I got, I got to have consistency and to look at the tone. Maybe it's more of an investment in a process. Some people have plug and play ready to go. Others are literally starting from scratch. Are they embarrassed by it? Maybe just in regards to what they're bringing to the table initially. But if they're just bringing a phone call to me and interest, that's more than enough. I'd be more than happy to walk them through how to write a script, what certain word choice we use. I could talk to them about email templates the sort of voicemails that we leave. Instead of just being a print, I prefer people are paintings because they're too well rehearsed and too commercialized. Why don't they take an extra 30 seconds to look at a LinkedIn or a website so I can custom make a message or just show a little bit of due diligence. Like, Tom, for an example, if you call me and you mention pinball machines, it's yours to lose. I'll let you pitch me for five minutes because it showed you took the time. And so I'm not saying these are cracked codes. But obviously, CEOs in certain companies are very proud of things. And if you just take the time to find that common ground, I think you're not going to get a 10-minute phone call, but there's a very good chance they'll give you 30 seconds to a minute, and then you can earn the other nine minutes that could work for you and your audience. You mentioned gaming several times as a part of the culture of the Costa Rican Call Center. Why do you find gaming such a powerful tool around driving your culture? 
Wasn't recess the best class back in the day in school? It's when you made your friends. It's when you could compete. It's when you could have some fun. And so today, when these agents are stuck on their phones with Instagram, or they're going outside to have a cigarette, or they just want to be by themselves. As I mentioned before, this is a wonderful place for them to enjoy others' company. Now, everybody's got an Xbox and a PlayStation, and they play games on their phone. But I chose to find things that they can't find, and that are older than they are. Because I grew up in the 70s and 80s, and arcades were amazing back in the day, and they're very expensive, unless you were a very good gamer. And so here, kind of like what I'm seeing behind you with your amazing collection, I have a collection as well, and one man's trash is another man's treasure. And so people have no idea what is sitting in their bodegas and garages with these old machines. And so, you know, I don't mind driving a couple hours to pick it up and bring it back and restoring them. That's my own personal passion. I love that. And the fact that I have the space here to do it, that's another plus for me. My wife is cool with that. And the third thing is, and I'm going to say it again, if I'm playing games in the morning and people are walking past me besides saying good morning, if I get the shoulder tap, they're comfortable enough to touch their boss and to say good morning. And that is a huge positive reinforcement of the sort of culture that I've created here. And so gaming for me as well with clients when they visit, they see three things. One, A, they don't have a game room. B, this is how I treat my people. And this is how I treat myself. And so you have to walk through this arcade going upstairs or downstairs. You do walk through the lights and the bells and the whistles. And so whatever it does, it puts you in a very good mood when you see this. Looking down the road to 2025 or perhaps even beyond, you mentioned about the use of the Spanish language in the United States. As a Texan, we learned to speak Tex-Mex a long, long time ago. But I'm really intrigued by Central America in general and Costa Rica specifically for nearshoring. And where do you see the business of nearshoring here in the Western Hemisphere really as a business model down the road? It's just for your scalability. And as I mentioned before, if people are able to work from home and to be virtual like your assistant Jaja, then anybody has a chance to earn that business. It's really just on merit. And so if you find somebody that is responsible and have that skill set, they should earn the business. Now, I can't compete with certain prices in India and the Philippines. We are the most expensive in Central America. So please take that into consideration. And a lot of people in the United States goes, well, with your price, I can hire somebody here in the States. But I also have to remind them that it's more of an independent contractor because they're not going to be paying for their benefits. What about their overhead? And there's no supervision there. So whatever rate you're thinking of matching me, times it by three. Once again, I believe that by learning a second language and for me moving to Costa Rica, being a guest in this country, it allowed the people here to see that I was starting off with good faith by learning their language. And also, once again, by learning their culture and traditions, if somebody goes to another country and expects them just to be like it is back home, they're going to be sadly mistaken and they might become frustrated. And so I've seen a lot of people here that have those sort of expectations that people should be adjusting for them. But I'm going to say it again, I am a guest here. And so by learning this Spanish, I have earned the respect initially of the agents that work here is they've earned mine by learning English. And so by having that in common, that sort of dedication and structure and the years of mastering a language, there's an excellent way to relate to one another. And and finally, if there is a certain situation where somebody, it's like a code red, if they become very emotional because this business can take its toll and there are things outside the office, Tom, that can affect someone's performance at work, 
And so if somebody is not having a very good day, I allow them initially to explain how they feel in their native tongue, just to get it out. And then I would ask them if there is a 5% miscommunication or I'm not really sure, just to explain it in English as well. So there's a consistency there and an overlap. And so once again, allowing someone to speak in the most comfortable way where you can understand that could definitely increase the sort of relationships that you have with people in regards to that sort of mutual respect. Richard, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode. But before we leave, I was wondering if our listeners wanted any more information on yourself, the Costa Rican Call Center, or really any of the topics we've touched on today, what would be the best place or sites for them to go to? I think first they should grab a plane ticket and come down and visit me if they're capable of doing that. But if that's not happening today, Tom, they can give me a call, 888-271-6750. Shoot me an email at ceo at costaricascallcenter.com. And finally, I have a very large Facebook fan page. And once this goes live, they cannot wait to meet you. There's 98,000 Costa Ricans that are there right now. And it will really give you a pulse on the Costa Rican BPO industry, what happens during the day and what happens at night. Tom, I can't thank you enough. I really enjoyed this interview. You do it spot on. And I look forward to continuing to follow your work. Well, and for my part, I hope we can continue the conversation, Richard. Anytime, my friend. Call me anytime. If you want to stay up to date on the latest innovations in compliance and help your business run more efficiently, subscribe to this podcast and help spread the word by leaving a review.